children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. And if you are able and willing, will you please stand with me for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word as we read Ephesians 6, beginning in chapter 10. And to some of your heart's delight, we'll be finishing the book of Ephesians today. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for that very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to, to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, please speak to us through your word. Your word is effective. It never returns to you void. Plant it deep inside our hearts. As we filled ourselves with food this week, so now we ask that you fill us with your word by your spirit. And later, may we feast on it. And may our prayer be for ourselves, the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. May we never cease to give thanks. That the, Lord of our, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may he give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelations and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which we've been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated us with him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, a name that is above every name, not only in this age, but in the age to come. May this be our prayer as your church, 
your bride, your body. May we know the resurrection. May we know the reigning Christ and rest in his finished work of righteousness for us. We ask this in his name. Amen. Finally, Paul says, finally is what some of you might be saying. Finally, he comes to the conclusion of this book, and I hope you've learned a few things from this book. I hope that the eyes of your heart have been enlightened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that this book is revealed, and it might not be at the forefront of your mind since it was so many weeks ago, but I hope this book has focused you on the Trinitarian work of our sovereign Savior. That His grace saves sinners, and His grace was revealed to us in Jesus Christ. I hope that this book has shaped your understanding of what the church is and what the church does. That through Christ, the, who is the gospel of peace, that he has brought us together and unified us in one body through his covenant promises. This is the mystery of the gospel, that in Christ, God has broken down the walls of hostility that kept us from himself and also kept us from one another. It is through the finished work of Christ that he is binding us together as the new temple of the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I hope this book has also revealed a vision for this church. We looked at Ephesians 1, how we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, but do you remember what came right after that? That we walk with humility and gentleness with one another. That we walk with patience with one another, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity and the spirit in the bond of peace. That God has given us these great gifts, teachers, teachers of the word who equip the saints, building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to bring us up into mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and the craftiness of the world, by doctrine, by human cunning, but rather that we might know the love, be joined together, equipped for the work of the gospel. I hope in this book it has been revealed of the new life that God calls us to, that we are to walk together, held together, by the love of Christ. And I hope this book has revealed the way that the gospel shapes all of our relationships, beginning in our marriages and with our families and bleeding into the workplace. I hope that this book has brought to your attention the power of God in Christ, that we are saved from our sins, that we are a new messianic people purchase with the blood of Christ. That our Messiah is far above all rule and authority and has power and dominion right now over the entire cosmos. 
this is what this book is about. And as we've seen over just the past weeks, Paul has been telling us and he's been writing of how we as a church are supposed to be transformed by this truth. A truth that everything is dependent upon Jesus. We are being built up in Christ. And wouldn't it be pretty interesting that as he's building us up in Christ, he does it in those three ways I just mentioned. In our marriages, husbands are supposed to love their wives. Wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. This is the foundation of all humanity. Our families. Children, you're supposed to obey your parents. Fathers, you're supposed to lovingly discipline and disciple your children. Families are the building blocks for all humanity. And even our work. Everyone works for someone, or everyone has someone working for them. Isn't it interesting that these type of relationships, these three relationships are all relationships bound in the creation at Genesis. God said it was not good for man to be alone. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. God told them to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Marriage, family, and work. God is recreating the world in Christ Jesus. Through our relationship with Christ, He is building a better Eden. And so, too, we are to no longer walk in the futility of our minds, but to walk in love as children of light. We are to be careful of how we walk, not as unwise. We are to put off our old self and to put on our new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And I do this, I say all this for two reasons. One, as I hope this is a good summary of the entire book, a picture of God's love for us, that we were enemies, dead in our trespasses and sins, and he saved us through grace. Second, I hope you hear all this, and it should encourage you. We should walk away with the confidence of the gospel of truth. And I pray that you walk away from this book, that you might see yourself as Christ sees you. Loved, adopted, chosen in Christ. But then the reality of this life might not actually be what you expect. And what I believe is to be true is that it's actually, the reality is really hard to even comprehend. And that we as a church struggle with the reality that we now face. We all, almost, well, I say all, most of us know the words of verses 10 through 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. Paul here brings in another metaphor, a warrior imagery. And we might ask ourselves, what are we fighting against? And we might rightly say we're fighting against the flesh of our sins. We might be fighting against this evil age, the oppression that happens in those who are not redeemed. We are preparing to fight against those who hate us, those who persecute us, those who are trying to destroy Christ's church. And we might say yes to all those things, 
But what Paul reveals is that the enemy is far more dangerous than we ever might admit. For this is how he ends verse 11. That you might stand against the schemes of the devil. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He is preparing us to go to war with the devil himself. And what I want to ask you this morning is, are you truly prepared to fight the devil? This isn't a metaphor. This is the reality of the world that God has created. How often do we realize, how often do we actually think that we are fighting against Satan and his minions? You might be fighting with your brother or sister. You might be fighting with one of your parents. You might fight with your boss. You might even fight against your spouse. I don't know who actually does that, but you might actually fight against your spouse. But Paul says behind all of that is the devil himself. Are you prepared for this type of battle? Husbands and wives, if you don't think that those thoughts of divorce that those thoughts of it would just be a lot easier by myself, you don't understand who we're fighting against. The covenant of marriage is the picture of Christ's relationship with his church, and if you don't think the devil is going to try to destroy that, you have no clue who we're fighting against. If you don't believe that Satan is trying to disrupt parental relationships with their children, that he's trying to break up families, which God establishes at the core of all humanity, you truly do not know who we're facing. If you don't believe that Satan is trying to get you to steal and be insubordinate at work, at school, or even with your own families, you don't understand who we are facing I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul brings this up right here after speaking about the core of humanity. This enemy has been prevailed, prevalent throughout this entire book. Satan and his minions are coming to destroy God's creation. He is the prince of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. And if you do not know who we're facing, you have no chance of survival. The church is under attack by a powerful, supernatural being who is strategizing to bring every single one of us to ruin and to destroy us. Are you prepared for that type of battle? How often as, as a church do we actually admit that is who we are facing? This is what we pray every single, every single Lord's Day. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. But this is what Paul is saying to the church. This is who we are facing but you are not alone. God is with his people. 
Christ, our Messiah, he has conquered his foes. He has put all things in subjugation to himself. He has put all things under his feet. Remember, this is what Paul says, remember, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You see, in the gospel, God gives us exactly what we need to face this enemy. He gives us Christ himself. We have Christ. Throughout this book, we've seen this metaphor. We are supposed to put on, put on our new selves, created after the likeness of Christ. And so often we focus so much on the armor, we don't understand what the armor is pointing to. We are supposed to put on Christ. He says, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. And so often we look at the belt rather than the truth. He's talked about truth throughout this entire book. This is what he says in chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We need to be armed with Christ. How do we face the devil when he tempts us? We remember the gospel of truth. We remember what Christ has done for us. Because you know what Satan's going to do? He's going to come say to us, and tell me if this sounds familiar. He's going to come to us and say, you are not worthy. He's going to say, you cannot be fixed. You are unlovable. You can't do the Christian life. You should probably just give up. And if we forget the gospel of truth, we will believe him. Don't you see, we've been given exactly what we need to stand firm. We've been given the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This, again, is not the first time we've heard of this. For we're being created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In verse 15, he says, be ready with the gospel of peace. We're supposed to take our shield of faith. We're supposed to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These are all themes that, God, that Paul has been speaking about through the entire message of Ephesians. The gospel of peace. We've been saved through faith by grace. We have the Spirit of God. And Paul's imagery doesn't come here from a Roman soldier preparing for battle. If you don't know, this imagery actually comes from the book of Isaiah, as we read in Isaiah 59. It is the Messiah who is going to come. It is the Messiah who's going to put on the righteous put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation. 
It is the Messiah, Isaiah says in chapter 11, verse 5, that will wear righteousness as his belt and fasten faithfulness as a belt on his loins. It is the Messiah who will come and bring a gospel on the feet of those who proclaim it. Isaiah was speaking of the Messiah who was to come, who he longed to see that would come and rescue his people from their enemies, who would redeem them and save them from their sins. Paul is not telling us that we need to stand on our own strength, that we need to speak our own truth, that we need to speak of how we can just be better. The whole message of the gospel, you aren't enough to save yourself. You need to be redeemed. And our Redeemer is Jesus. He came to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. We are not Joshua. We are not told to be strong and courageous and lead God's people into the promised land. We're like the spies who knew God's promises, who saw the land, but were who, to, who were too afraid to go into the land. We are not David, the warrior king who defeated Goliath. We were Israel, standing back too afraid to face our enemies. Don't you see? Joshua and David both prepared us for Christ. Isaiah's Messiah was preparing us for Christ. These are stories that came and were fulfilled in the perfect work of Jesus Christ our Lord, who has fought our battle for us and who has clothed us with himself. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We have been clothed with Christ himself. We have been given his righteousness, his peace, his truth, his salvation. Our hope does not depend upon our strength to muster enough strength for the battle. If you think you can survive one second of one day without Christ, you don't understand who we are facing. And the Christian life is going to be really hard. What we need to know, what we need to believe, and what we need to see is that we have been given all things in Christ Jesus our Lord that we are who he says we are, that we do what he says leads to life, that we believe in his covenant promises. that we are predestined to be sons and daughters of the risen Christ that all Christ has done is ours, that all the Spirit has promised is ours. And when the tempter comes and we stand against him, we can with confidence say, no, we can't, but Christ already has, and he is with us. What the church must know is that we have God's Messiah, we are his new people, and the gates of hell will never prevail against us. He has accomplished our redemption. 
He faced the devil in the wilderness, and he was fully prepared with the sword of truth and defeated him, and Satan had to flee. He took Satan's most vital blow. He took the sting of death on our behalf and went to the grave, and it could not contain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. You've heard me talk about RYM, and I love RYM. By the way, we're getting ready to start preparing for RYM, just as a, a little announcement in there. But we, I always have this re-entry talk with students that go to RYM. You've heard me say it, that when we go to RYM, it's like going to training camp for a week, hearing the gospel, hearing these truths. We're being armored with the truths of the gospel so that we might be ready to go into the world and after talking to these students and talking about how what they have learned is true no matter where they go, I always prepared them for re-entry because I know who's waiting for them when they return home. That at that spiritual high that we have at camp, and it's wonderful and it's great, but if you're not prepared to face the prince of the power of this air, you will fail. We must prepare ourselves to put on Christ. And the imagery that came to my mind this week was, it's as though this armor of God is a piece of clothing that we just hang in our closet and say, you know, I'll come and get this when I need this. If you don't put on that armor of God every single day, you will fail because only Christ is strong enough. And this is what is, is interesting, is right after this armor of God that Paul reveals, he tells us how we can apply it. In verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. With a prayer of supplication, to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. How do we put on this armor of God? We go to the Lord and Lord in prayer and pray just as I prayed earlier that we might know the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. That we can pray that it's not up to us. It's up to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are to put on Christ. And think of this metaphor. Typically, we think of this armor of God as something that we do as individuals. But throughout this entire book, we've been called the body of Christ. Think about that. What if we put on the armor of God as the body of Christ? Together. Imagine what this church would look like if together, unified by God's Spirit, we put on the armor of God for each other, fighting against the devil. How else are we going to walk unified in the bond of peace? But by putting the armor of God on together. How else are we to kill the hostility that rises up in our hearts so quickly by putting on the armor of God together? How else are we going to receive our inheritance together? 
but by putting on Christ together. We have each other. God has given us everything that we need. He's given us Christ and him crucified and risen, and he's given us the church. And what's so interesting is this is what he says in verses 21 and 22. Why did he send Tychicus? That he might encourage their hearts. Because the battle is hard. This life is hard. But brothers and sisters, how often do we actually believe, or let me say it in this way, we often believe that we're losing this battle. But that's not what this text is giving us a picture of. This book has given us a picture that Christ has conquered Satan and that he has given himself to us. We are not losing the battle. The battle is already won. We have peace with Christ. We have the grace of Christ. We have the love of Christ that is incorruptible. Brothers and sisters, we have all that we need. Because Christ has given us himself. He has shed his blood for us. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in another story, you're believing in a story that's not the gospel. We are called to believe in the gospel that Christ's righteousness is our righteousness. You are a loved son and daughter of the Most High King. You will never be defeated. He is with us, he is reigning, and he's coming again in glory. This is the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, help our unbelief. Father, may we recall the truth of the gospel when the evil one comes, and may we stand upon Christ's righteousness. May we stand ready with the sword of his truth, with your word of the gospel. Father, may we encourage one another. May we fight for one another. Father, deliver us from the evil one. May you receive all the glory that is due to your name. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Now, if you will, please stand and turn in your Trinity hymnal to page 846 as we recite the Nicene Creed. Church, what do you believe? <laughs> 